1: New Zealand Bridge. Sponsoring bridge from beginner to international, nationwide.
2: Welcome to the Bridge Zone. You're at the table with Barry and Mariana. It is only the 4th of January, so we're heading into 2021, Barry.
3: How are those New Year's resolutions going, Mariana? Have you made any sacrifices
2: this year? <laughs> no, I haven't really made any. But I have, oh well, actually yes, I tell a lie. I'm actually thinking I'm going to learn to reo Māori this year. Do You want to come?
3: Yeah, well, yeah, probably I should.
2: Yeah. Are
3: you going to go to classes?
2: <laughs> I'm thinking about it.
3: It might be a bit of a relief from the bridge table.
2: <laughs> that's one of my plans that I have, so a friend and I have decided that that's probably what we would like to do. She's going to look into it.
3: Exciting stuff.
2: Well, yeah, it's a bit daunting, actually. You've no. got a bit of knowledge. No, it's very difficult because each... Iwi has their own sort of dialect, I guess. It's like grunting Klingon.
3: (laughs) Grunting Klingon? He sounds like Rafa Nadal playing tennis. That's what he does, doesn't he?
2: (laughs) No sacrifices this year.
3: I've actually been reading a bit about sacrifices, Mariana.
2: Yeah? Are you making some? (laughs) Are you learning how to sacrifice something? I was reading about winning duplicate tactics,
3: talking about sacrifices. Right. So what this guy says is, the guy is David Bird, pretty good author. Ooh, he said yes. that at imps you gain relatively little by sacrificing for 500 against the opponent's possible 620s. So the opponents a bid game and they're vulnerable and you bid over them and they double you and you go for 500. You actually only gain about three imps. Right. Well, you gain three imps. If four spades happens to go down... Losing 500 can be very expensive. You know, if they bid yep. four spades and they actually can't make it, it can be really expensive. So don't sacrifice at imps unless you see a chance of scoring a fair-sized swing. Hmm. But, however, at match points, it's different. This is duplicate, like normal bridge at the club. A 500 sacrifice against a string of 620s may give you a wonderful score. It will do so only if several conditions apply, though. One, game is widely bid on the opponent's cards. Right, yeah. Two, game is widely made the word's Mm -hmm. not going down and three you do not go down more than you expected so you don't want to go for 800 yep as opposed to 620 so when the decision appears to be borderline even to a tiger such as yourself (laughs) err on the cautious side (laughs) the vulnerability is a prime consideration you can afford to go three down when only the opponents are vulnerable you can afford to go only one down when you're vulnerable and they're not equal vulnerability you can afford to go two down it is rarely right to bid five over five. If the opponents go to five hearts in a competitive auction, it is usually right to pass or double rather than stretching to go five spades. Now, I've learned this from bitter experience. <laughs> Although I have to say at Papatowi, we had yep. about three tables in a row where people sacrificed at the five level and they were right every time. Oh, no. Not that I'm bitter.
2: No. Much. Well, remember that discussion that we had where your partner pulls, you're bidding your diamonds and then partner goes and signs off at 3 no, and you're thinking oh my hand's not really any good for 3 no, and I pulled it to 5 diamonds we had that discussion, if you're going to pull it, because we've got next to nothing of course, because everyone's in 3 no trumps and it always scores a little bit but if you're going to pull it pull it to 6 if you're going to Absolutely. pull it
3: Absolutely, if you make 6 diamonds you're going to get a really good score, yes. if you make 5 diamonds you're probably going to get rubbish if rubbish. 3 no trumps is going to make 4, so it's not because particularly you think Six Diamonds is going to make, but because, well, what the hell, we might we as well be We might as well be hung for a sheep as a lamb, as they say.
2: And guess what? Six Diamonds was there. Oh. Bittersweet again. It's like, oh, these decisions that you make. Has it got anything about looking up to the ceiling and there's a little twinkle or anything and you might get some wisdom shone down on you? No. A
3: little twinkle on the ceiling? What on yeah. earth are you talking about? Maybe it was a big twinkle, I don't know. It
2: would be a big twinkle. No, just asking the old fella up there for some help. No no divine intervention there. <laughs>
3: <laughs> anyway, you've got another
2: chance at the Auckland Bridge Club. You're playing in the playing all three nights, are you? Holiday peers. At this stage, we're playing two. I'm quite keen to play three, but we'll see how it goes.
3: Well, the format up there usually is you play the first two nights yep. and then the top 26 Piers or whatever Patrick decides goes into the final go through to the final. Oh. So if you do manage to make the final, mm. I'm sure you'll want to go back.
2: Well, I'm actually shopping with a girlfriend on Thursday in Auckland, so I am going to be there. But you need a partner. Your partner needs to turn up yes as well. I know. No, but I hear we've got our walk in reserve. Judge Jolly might be there. To be hanging out, looking for a partner. Oh, well, she did mention, I think, she this did. week
3: that that she, might yeah. be the case. So, there you, it might be an opportunity yeah. for you, Mariana.
2: Director, please.
1: How can I help?
3: Judge yeah. Julie presiding. Court's in session. Julie, this week we're talking about the adventures of Mariana <laughs> during <laughs> Thanks, ju- Barry. during Christmas Bridge. I'm not on trial, you know. <laughs> Silent in the dock. Do, yeah. Does she need to put her hand on the Bible? Do you, do you know? <laughs> we won't go there. So the first question is about when Mariana is on lead. When can she ask questions about the auction? Does she have to have her f- card face down on the table before she can ask questions?
1: Okay, well, have a look. First of all, the only time you really put your card face down on the table is the opening lead. You can ask questions whenever it is your turn to play or to bid. But the only time that you can actually ask a question when your card is on the table is when you're making the opening lead and your card is face down. Once you've put your card face up on the table, you are not on lead. So before you lead at any point, you can ask a question. Before you play at any point, before you bid at any point, when you are on opening lead, if you put your card Face down on the table, you can still ask a question before you face it. And your partner can also ask questions when your opening lead is face down on the table. Because if something comes to light about your opponent's auction or explanation or failure to alert or any of those things, you can call the director and the director may allow you to change the card. But you cannot. Change your card when it's face down on the table for the opening lead without getting the director's permission.
3: Actually that's another bit of a vexed question here Julie is that if you're in the pass out seat when your partner's going to be on lead but you actually haven't passed it out yet, are you allowed to ask questions then or is that a bit naughty?
1: You can ask questions for your own benefit you are definitely not and it is clear in the laws of bridge you cannot ask questions about things for your partner's benefit so if I'm playing with a beginner and someone opens a multi two, for example I can't ask the meaning of that bid when I am fully aware of what my opponents play and what it means for my partner i can ask for me because there's a variation but i am not allowed to ask the meaning of that but so my partner can understand because they're not going to ask a question because they don't
3: okay but if you say i'm in the pass out seat and they've opened one no trump and then it's gone two clubs stamen two diamonds two no's three no's pass pass to me I mean, clearly, I'm, I'm probably not going to come into this auction. Can I ask, what does that two diamonds mean?
1: <laughs> if, if you ask what that two diamonds means and your partner leads a diamond, whoa, are you in so much trouble. So asking about a bid when you are not on lead and you are not in a position where you will be making a bid, the question you're asking is not about whether you're going to bid or not. It is about something that may help what happens next. That gives information to your partner that your partner is absolutely not allowed to have. So if you're in the pass out seat, unless you've got a good reason for asking, and you can well have good reasons for asking questions, then do so. But if you have no good reason, then don't. And if you are asking about the auction and what things mean, you should not point out one specific bid or denomination to ask about. Generally, you should say, what does all of this mean or what do you understand by the bidding? So your opponents have to tell you, and as I say frequently, no secrets, But if you start pinpointing specific bids only like what did that one club mean and what did that three clubs mean when they've bid a whole raft of other things then you really are creating a problem for your partnership at that table and if your partner makes a lead that may not have been the lead they might have made normally you can expect the director to be at that table really quickly.
3: Talking about getting the director there really quickly. When are you allowed to look at the opponent's system card?
1: Effectively, and again this is in the, the regulations, it is the same as asking a question. So you can look at the system card before you make a bid and before you make a play. I know in general most people are pretty relaxed. The problem is when you're looking at something specifically again, you might be pointing out to your partner that there is something that they need to know. and whilst we're happy that partner will ask and do things most of the time, if that generates some question from partner that they wouldn't have otherwise asked, then perhaps you're creating a situation. It is a lot harder to define this specifically about what the problem is around this, but I am sure that there's something has come up at some point that made this really clear. When you ask questions at the table verbally, you can only look at the system card before you make a play, or you make a bid.
3: What about declarer? I guess they're allowed to look whenever they want, are they, or not? No, no, they're not.
1: I mean, they'll be yeah. looking at it for the play. So again, there's no problem with declarer doing that.
3: They're probably only looking at carding. Well, I suppose they could be looking at.
1: Oh, they, they can, can look at yeah. it when when they play from dummy. They're effectively playing themselves. Yep. So they can look at the carding and everything with regard to that and ask questions.
3: One last thing before you go. I know we're getting our money's worth today. Mariana <laughs> defended a contract that went too off. And when she looked at the results later on, it said that she'd played in that contract going two off and she hadn't changed the score. <laughs> Roughly, how much is that likely to be worth if she'd got it corrected? Because it sounds like it was almost a top to a bottom. Like yeah, well, if she'd got the correct can we score. look at
1: the fact that if there's 25 boards in play, each board that you play is worth 4%. If you go from zero to top, top to bottom, we're talking about a range of 4%. In general, it could be anything from going from average to top or average to bottom or anywhere in between, depending on what the contract was. My understanding of this one sounds pretty much like you're looking at least 3 and probably 4% for the range of it. Oh. Now, tournaments will have a specific time where results become final, for the allocation of prizes. And commonly, it will be a set time like half an hour or less after the end of play. So we ask people to check their scores carefully. We give them a certain time when they can come up and report any scoring errors so we can correct the score. And then we say, it's final, this is what the results are because we can't hang about for people to go
2: home. Now we up and left, Julie? So normally when
1: you walk out the door, your score is final. Sometimes at the Auckland Club, Patrick will state that the scores are final when you walk out the door, but up until a certain point of time, scoring errors will be accepted for the purpose of allocation of master points. And you might remember that Mike Cornell and Ashley Bark in the world pairs in a situation where scoring error was picked up out of time and they weren't going to correct the scores they ended up sharing the prize money, I think.
2: They shared they shared first place.
3: Well she'd left long she was on her way down the Bombay Hills before she noticed.
2: Hey I've got a question. Champion of the New Zealand Order of Merit. So do you know Arch Jelly? Yes, we saw it on T V but all they did was
1: talk about his previous Athletics So congratulations to Arch for the award. Yes, that's
2: lovely, isn't it?
1: It was a shame that they didn't focus on Bridge when they were talking about it. Mm -hmm. But since Arch is so well known for the coaching of Athletic, that's no surprise.
3: OK, thank you, Julie. We'll see you next week.
2: Rightio, thank you. Bye. Bye now. So the old credit card's going to get a good nudge on Thursday. My shopaholic friend Ros and I, we're going to Auckland. We're going to do Sylvia oh, Park and Onihanga and oh, going no. to walk up Queen Street.
3: I think you should alert the Auckland Chamber of Commerce that this is going to happen.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, no, that should be good. I haven't been shopping for ages.
3: Oh, well, maybe you could go to the Holden shop.
2: <laughs> no, but, hey, guess what? And this is a big shout out. I don't even know what they're called, but Down Sunshine Ave is this little shop You wouldn't even know, Andrew Cullen didn't even know, but he is an authorised Ford merchandise dealer. So I'm popping in there tomorrow because he poked his nose through at the window and he saw a little T-shirt that he might like to see, so I'm going to go and have a little look. Pretty cool.
3: (laughs) It's good that you're looking after your husband.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So he's at home watching the darts. Did you do any of the races? We did some betting on the New Year's Day races up in Ellerslie. How did that go? Did you win? No. <laughs> no, didn't win. Didn't win yesterday either, mind you. I only spent ten dollars, Barry. <laughs>
3: and how much did you win?
2: I won nothing.
3: So you spent ten dollars and you got nothing. What's yep. the net loss there?
2: Yep. <laughs> what did you do? Did you have any bets, or did you have a good win?
3: Oh, I had. I bet one dollar. There's all. I, the I took oh. a quinella. Our friend Nigella yep. uses my telephone account and he rang up to back a horse so I took a quinella with it for a and, dollar and they came third and fourth or something.
2: Oh close but no cigar.
3: Yeah well it wasn't that close really but Oh
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: anyway, we need to go and talk to Kermit.
2: Oh we do. <laughs>
4: What's this? It's
3: Kermit's Bridge Tips with Pam Livingston. Good morning, Kermit. What have you got for us today?
4: Well, today's tip is for the defenders. When dummy goes down, defenders gather your information. There's so much information to be had once dummy hits the table. And one of the simplest things that you can do is work out how many points your partner has. So you've got information from declarers bidding, and now you've seen dummy, and so you should be able to narrow down how many points your partner has to quite a narrow range. Now the concept of playing the hand is a simple one, the execution isn't, but <laughs> the concept is quite simple. Everyone can see half the pack and all everyone is trying to do is work out how the other half of the pack is distributed between the two hands they can't see sounds simple, doesn't it? That, that actually <laughs> it does. does
3: sound really simple when you put it like that. What could go wrong?
4: Yeah, well, it could go wrong, but it's not simple in execution, and the defenders have to work really hard to gather in all the bits of information that they have right at the beginning of the hand and that they learn as the hand proceeds. So when last week's tip was, clearer, don't play a card from dummy until you have a plan. So what are defenders doing while well, the is making this plan? They're making their own plan, and they're gathering information. What they're not doing, and we've all seen this one, is they're not patting and sighing and jostling their bugs so they can hurry up the clearer. Come on, use this time wisely. Yes,
3: that sounds like a good plan. Wise. But in reality, Pam, what you're saying is we get a bit lazy when we're defending sometimes, and we don't count...
4: Yes, well, we talked about this the other week, that when a terrible dummy goes down, everyone sits up straight and thinks, let's see how we can mince up the clearer on this hand. It's just as important to keep thinking when a good dummy goes down. You're not sure if it's going to give you any rewards gathering this information, but you still need to do it on
0: every hand.
3: I've got one more question for you, seeing we've just got you out of your kayak for this interview. <laughs> <laughs> is, is it true... Pam that kayaking is like bridge and that sometimes you seem to be paddling like hell and not getting anywhere
4: Well it was, that was our experience this morning we went up the Kuratau River and we started off and the river was quite wide and the paddling was easy and it got narrower and, and we found that we were almost going backwards my husband and I were reflecting on the wisdom of not buying a two person kayak. <laughs>
3: <laughs> the extra because, horsepower, you mean?
4: Well, imagine, you know, like with Brig, half the trouble is coordinating your actions with your partner. Like, we felt that we may get into difficulty if we tried that on a kayak.
3: And we'll just keep on paddling till next week. Thank you, Pam. Catch Kermit next week for another tip.
2: See you. Anamana. Let's pop off and hear some more from Kim Fraser. Sometimes if it's your first time
3: representing, not necessarily your country, but maybe your province, maybe you made the team and you're sitting down for that first board against another province, pretty scary stuff.
0: Absolutely it is, and everyone gets nervous. Nobody is immune to nerves. It's really about how each person manages that nervousness and deals with it, and so quite a complicated subject to talk about visualization, but essentially, you can visualize yourself in that environment in a relaxed situation, and at the end of your visualization, you can say a Q word like focus or concentrate or relax, something like that, and then when you're in the actual competition, by saying that keyword to yourself, it will take you back to that relaxed state Now, that is a really, really short pricey of how the whole thing works. But essentially, that's the idea. When you're in your relaxed state, you say your Q word. And when you're in your competition, you say your Q word. And it makes your body think you're back in your relaxed environment. It helps you to calm down. The other thing that helps you to calm down is breathing. A lot of people forget to breathe (laughs) when they're stressed.
2: (laughs) When you're taking a finesse.
0: There's actually quite a nice joke about taking a finesse. So there's a player who is quite new to bridge and she gets told that taking a finesse works 50% of the time. So she takes a finesse and it works. And so she comes back to her hand and the next time she doesn't take the finesse, the person said, why don't you take it the second time? And she said, "Because it only works half
3: the time." <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good story.
0: <laughs> I guess
3: that's one reason. It does make
0: to... sense, you know. If you
2: it new. sort of makes sense in a way. If you knew, yes, I guess it does.
3: So, look, it sounds like there's lots of interesting stuff in this book. I think I might have to go and buy a copy, Kim. So, "Gaining the Mental Edge at Bridge" by Kim Fraser. I don't know where you can get it, Kim, in New Zealand at the moment, or whether you can get it online. What's the easiest way for people to get it?
0: I'm not sure who the New Zealand reseller is, but certainly you can buy it from the bridge shop in Australia. So Nick Farah is the distributor in Australia. I'm sure there'll be a New Zealand distributor. Um, Or you can buy it through Masterpoint Press.
2: How long did it take you to write the
0: book, Kim? From the original germ of an idea to actually completing the book was six years. Six years. Uh, I'll qualify that. My original plan was to write about 12 articles and to turn each article into a chapter in the book. Mm -hmm. And the 12 articles I did were for the Australian Bridge Newsletter and that was published every two months and I didn't have one in every two month edition. I missed a couple of editions. The first three years were writing the articles and then I think I spent the next three and a half years on the book and part of that was because the proofreading took a long time and in fact one of your um, quite well-known bridge players, Liam Milne, was my main proofreader and he made a a fabulous contribution to the book. I suppose it wasn't a full-time hobby for me so I would write some stuff and then I would leave it for about three months while I went and played bridge tournaments or you know, did other things and then I would come back to it and I'd have to figure out where I was up to and what bits I needed to do, so yeah. it wasn't six years of solid writing. Let's put it that way.
2: <laughs> and also, being the secretary of ABF, that also takes up a fair bit of time, I guess. Yes,
0: it does. I very foolishly agreed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't one of my better decisions, I don't think.
3: Hmm. What sort of time commitment is this? Is really involved with in your book, Kim? I just interesting? What sort of time commitment would there be in secretary of the ABF? I guess it's pretty substantial
0: it varies quite a bit so some months it's quite time consuming and other months is not so much work certainly when COVID-19 hit it was very very busy as we were mm-hmm. trying to you know deal with getting online bridge going and and a whole lot of other things now it's sort of calmed down a little bit it's not so terrible.
2: So we have a, a really good connection with Professor Samantha Punch over from Stirling University in Scotland, and she's very much involved in Bridge being the mind sport. Have you two connected up or aim to connect up in the near future?
0: So we only recently connected up, and we do aim to connect up over the next few months. Samantha's doing a large conference in I'm presuming it's in Scotland. I am guessing a tiny little bit there, but I think it's in Scotland, certainly in the UK, in the middle of next year, mm-hmm. where there'll be a whole a whole series of seminars and activities associated with mind sports. And I'm going to be involved in that in some way, I believe.
3: Very good. Okay, so I mean, she's obviously... A lot of the research they've done is about cognitive skills and yes. that sort of thing. So obviously there is a... A bit of an overlap there.
0: Yeah, definitely. And and I think it, you know, it would be really good to take some of the concepts I've spoken about in the book and do some quantitative testing on them in a controlled uh, environment if we could manage to do that. I think that would be really helpful because it would help direct bridge, mind sports for bridge in a further way.
2: That was week two of our phone interview with Kim Fraser. I love the thought of picking a focus word. I think I might do that. Now you can see that there is some sort of correlation between shooting, rifle shooting, and bridge. As mentioned with Judge Julie, we'd just like to congratulate Arch Jelly, Companion of the New Zealand Order of Merit and the New Year's Honours, Barry. How cool is that? What was that for? Was that to do with the athletics or the bridge? (laughs) For services to athletics and the game of bridge. It's good
3: to see bridge getting a mention there.
2: 98 years old. Yeah,
3: I read that he had a knee replacement surgery at 98. So that's optimism for you. Good on you, Arch. You should be good for another 20 years.
2: We're going to see if we can try and get a hold of Arch. We'll do some work over this week, and that'll be awesome to have a chat with him. What do you think about the results of the Christmas tournaments, Mariana? Uh, blah, 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 blah. You'll hear it with Judge Julian. I was put on trial. Well, who won in the end? Because we cut a path.
3: Well, Matthew Brown and Andy Bowie... Whipped yep. up a 76-point-something percent on the last night to win easily at Papatowi. Wow. And in Wellington, yep. the winners were Nigel Kearney and Jack James. But special mention of Eason Lou who was playing with Johnny Davidson. So Ethan Lou is 10 years old, Mariana. Nice. He averaged 54.66 with Johnny, <laughs> and they got 61 on the second night and wound up seventh. So oh. a couple of A points for only 10 years of age, Mariana. How and cool. he's tracking you down. He's hunting you down. He's going to pass you, and he's only
2: 10. <laughs> My little fella's coming up. So Lincoln's eight, and we thought that we might try and have a little game of mini bridge while he was up there. He wants to have a go at cards. I Definitely like, go for it. Yep.
3: Well, you can tell him about this 10-year-old, <laughs> Ethan Lou.
2: <laughs> How cool is that? Well done. What's the plans
3: for next week, Barry? Well, there's the Auckland tournament coming up. Might sneak up there. Thames. There's Thames, the big Thames festival coming up. Mm. So that's held over the, the three days, basically. They've got good numbers. So I think they've closed
2: yep. already for the teams. Something like 34 teams entered. Yes, that was a quite a topical conversation when I was playing up at Pipitoui. Lots of people heading over that way, which is nice. And I also noticed that Tauranga, which is at the end of January,
3: I think their team's is full as well. Wow, how cool. Everybody just can't wait to get out there and back playing face-to-face bridge, Mariana.
2: Okay, well that's it from us for this week. Thanks very much for your patronage over 2020. Don't forget to click onto our podcast and register Barry's going to close the show with some of our rating stats.
3: The Bridge Zone Wound up third for the month of December, so we're happy to be in the top three out of some 80 shows. We had about seven and a half thousand. That's right, and top show had about eight and a half thousand, so not too far away. If you can just encourage somebody else to click on our podcast, we'd love to knock off the top spot
2: next mm. month. And the best bit about that, Barry didn't mention, was fourth place drops right down to under two thousand. So thank you so much, our audience been amazing.
3: It has and let's hope that 2021 is going to be up there with the ratings. Catch you next week. Bye for now.
1: This program is sponsored by
2: New Zealand Bridge. Sponsors of Grassroots Bridge across the nation.